section two of the three lieutenants by william henry giles kingston this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two part one admiral triton at portsmouth the three old messmates meet each other and their three young relatives become acquainted the dinner at the george with admiral triton anecdotes an eccentric commander the frigate and corvette sail for the west indies a philosophical boatswain jolly time with fine weather a heavy gale times change marines and midshipmen on their beam ends men lost the midshipmen regained their appetites the admiral and his two young friends were soon at portsmouth the former took up his quarters at the george while jack who had remained at home to the last day allowable accompanied by tom at once went on board the plantagenet lying alongside a hulk off the dockyard he was warmly welcomed by captain hemming and much to his satisfaction he found that the newly appointed first lieutenant of the frigate was his old acquaintance nat cherry lately second of the dugong in the china seas from whence he had only just arrived the authorities give us but little time to enjoy the comforts and quiet of home he observed but it's flattering to one's vanity to discover that one's services are considered of value and so when hemming replied for me i could not decline on the plea that my health required recruiting after the hard work i went through in china although my friends declare that i have become as thin as a lath and have no more colour than a piece of brown leather i cannot say that of you rogers however really cherry you look to me as well filled out and as blooming as ever answered jack surveying the rotund figure and rosy cheeks of his new messmate you and i afford proof that hard work seldom does people harm idleness is the greatest foe to health of the two and who is to be third of the frigate no one has yet been appointed the master and purser have joined very good fellows in their way with an assistant surgeon and three or four youngsters among them young harry bevan who was with us in the dugong i am very glad of that said jack bevan is the style of lad i should wish as a companion for my young brother tom your brother the youngster who came on board with you i was sure of it you are as like as two peas said mr cherry i hope that he'll imitate you in all respects it's a satisfaction to have steady youngsters on board who keep out of scrapes and don't give trouble tom who had already made himself known to harry bevan was called aft and introduced by jack to mr cherry and felt very happy and proud as he looked along the deck of the fine frigate to which he belonged it was no dream there he was in reality walking about and talking to bevan and other fellows dressed like himself in midshipmen's uniforms and then he went into the berth and took his seat among the others at dinner it was just as jack had described it not very large but till the rest of the mess had joined with 
just sufficient elbow-room they had plenty of good things for the caterer old higson was something of an epicure and tom tasted grog for the first time which he thought very nasty stuff though he did not say so as he knew that sailors liked it and besides it would not be polite to express his opinion to higson who had evidently no objection to its taste altogether tom was convinced that midshipmen as he had always supposed must lead very jolly lives that very night too he was to sleep in a hammock which he thought would be rare fun he and his new messmates soon returned to deck when the men who had been at dinner came tumbling up from below and, and set to swaying up yards and hoisting in stores the boatswain sounding his shrill pipe amidst the hubbub of noises the officers from mr cherry downward shouting at the top of their voices and the men bawling and rushing in gangs here and there at headlong speed hauling away at ropes till tom felt more bewildered than he had ever before been in his life and narrowly escaped being knocked over several times in spite of the efforts he made to keep out of the way however his experiences were only those of midshipmen in general when they first join a ship tom had been advised by jack to learn all about the masts and rigging as soon as possible and he accordingly set to work without delay asking questions of every one whom he for a moment saw standing quiet and was likely to answer him harry bevan told him a good deal as did the other midshipmen no one showing a disposition to humbug him possibly on jack's account who would have found them out if they had before night tom began to fancy that he really knew something about a ship though it might be some time before he could consider himself a thorough sailor though the captain lived on shore the first lieutenant had taken up his quarters on board jack finding plenty to do and being economically inclined followed his example a fine-looking corvette the tudor was fitting out a little way higher up the harbour jack scanned her with a seaman's eye and thought that had he not been appointed to the frigate he should like to belong to her it was still uncertain to what station the plantagenet would be sent no great difficulty however was found in getting men to enter for her sailors look more to the captain and officers than to the part of the world to which they are to go one clime to them is much the same as another they are as ready to go to the north pole as to the coast of africa if they like the ship and the commander captain hemming bore a good character as did lieutenants cherry and rogers among those who had ever sailed with them no persons are more thoroughly discussed than are naval officers by seamen the wheat is completely sifted from the chaff the gold from the alloy and many who pass for very fine fellows on shore are looked upon as arrant pretenders afloat 
jack was making his way towards the shop of mr woodward the bookseller when two seamen in a happy state of indifferentism to all sublunary affairs came rolling out of the street which debouches on the common hard near the dockyard gates i say dick if that bean't jack rogers say i never broke biscuit exclaimed one of the men pointing ahead with outstretched arm no doubt about it ben answered his companion i'd a known him a mile off and i seed him last night in the paper that he's appointed to the plantagenet along with captain hemming dick pronounced all the syllables long what say you my pockets are pretty well cleaned out and so i've a notion are yours shall we go and enter at once it must come to that afore long i'm agreeable dick when a thing's to be done it's best to do it like men said ben just as they arrived in front of the bookseller's shop where they waited the reappearance of the lieutenant jack soon came out and at once recognizing two former shipmates in the dugong dick needham and ben snatchblock asked them if they were willing to join the plantagenet an affirmative being given he begged them to pick up any other prime hands they could come across by the evening when he returned on board he had much to his satisfaction obtained ten good men the next day jack went on shore for the same purpose accompanied by tom with the intention of calling on admiral triton before returning on board they had just passed through the dockyard gates when jack saw approaching from the left accompanied by a young midshipman a lieutenant whom it did not take him many seconds to recognize as his old messmate alec murray they did not exactly rush into each other's arms as frenchmen or spaniards would have done but they shook hands with honest warmth and jack exclaimed i thought you were in scotland where have you sprung from alec murray then told him that he had been appointed as second lieutenant to the tudor commander babacombe with orders to join immediately which he had done the previous evening but having the outfit of a youngster to look after and letters to write he had been unable to get on board the plantagenet he turned round and introduced his companion a tall slight lad as his cousin archie gordon who had also been appointed to the corvette thereon jack introduced tom and the two midshipmen who had before been eyeing each other askance shook hands and of course at once fraternized tom felt very proud of being able to speak in an authoritative tone about the frigate to archie who had not as yet been on board the corvette and had not even seen a ship of war except at a distance we do things as smart as lightning aboard our frigate i can tell you continued tom our first lieutenant is a very good fellow and our second is my brother jack and there are not many like him 
i had been twice up to the main truck and ever so often into the mizzen-top and we've a capital mess and shall be a jolly set when all hands join are you going to belong to us i dinna think so answered archy in a broad scotch accent my cousin that is my father's sister's son alec murray there is lieutenant of a ship they call the tudor and i'm to go alang wi him oh that's the small craft fitting out ahead of us she's a fine little ship of her class though so my brother jack says and so i may congratulate you but of course she's not to be compared to our frigate i say you must come and pay us a visit on board and i'll put you up to all sorts of things archy expressed himself much obliged but cautiously refrained from accepting the invitation till he knew what his cousin alec might say on the subject meantime jack and alec murray were talking eagerly together and where are you bound for asked jack i heard through a friend at the admiralty that the tutor is to be sent to the same station as the plantagenet which as you may suppose gave me no slight satisfaction answered murray that is capital news cried jack it will be curious if we keep together as lieutenants as much as we did as midshipmen and go through as many more adventures as we have already fallen in with i only wish that by some wonderful chance paddy adair could be with us and that same wonderful chance has brought him here exclaimed a voice from behind and while a hand was placed on the shoulders of each on looking round they caught sight of the merry countenance of paddy himself now smiling into the face of one now into that of the other it's dropped from the clouds you are after thinking i am now he continued laughing only they don't as a rule rain such big fish as myself well then to satisfy your curiosity you are indebted for the satisfaction of seeing me here this morning to a peremptory missive from my lord's commissioners of the admiralty directing me to hasten over from ireland to join the plantagenet as third lieutenant and i needn't tell you i never obeyed an order with more willing alacrity and i don't think anything next to being made commander-in-chief right off could have given me greater satisfaction said jack who seldom indulged in anything so nearly approaching a sentimental speech murray said something of the same sort while the three old schoolfellows were carrying on an animated conversation a third midshipman had joined tom and archy will ye be after telling me if ye plays who 
are those two lieutenants my uncle terence is talking to he said as he stepped up to them and made them a polite bow with his cap archy returned it but tom who had discovered that it was not the fashion for midshipmen to bow to each other only laughed and asked as he pointed with his chin at the three lieutenants do you mean that merry-looking fellow between those two that same sure was the answer tom explained who they were adding and who are you and what ship do you belong to sure i don't belong to one at all at all but my uncle terence adair is to be third lieutenant of the plantagenet frigate and i'm to be a midshipman with him and in the matter of my name i'm gerald desmond of ballymacree castle in county clare ireland well mr gerald desmond of bally what do you call it county clare ireland i have the pleasure of informing you that you are to be a messmate of mine and as i've heard a good deal of your uncle paddy adair from my brother jack i shall be very happy to welcome you on board and introduce you to the other fellows gerald expressed himself much obliged to tom for the intended favour but ye'll not be after calling my uncle terence paddy if ye plays he added his irish blood rising with the idea that some disrespect was shown to his relative don't trouble yourself about that my dear fellow said tom who never wished to quarrel with any one my brother jack always calls him so and the paddy slipped out by mistake but you may be very sure that you'll be paddy desmond from the hour you step on board and for ever after unless there's another irishman to deprive you of the title though probably there'll then be a brace of paddies faith i'm not ashamed of my country and i am perfectly happy to be paddy desmond if you and the other boys like to call me so answered gerald laughing adair finding that it was not necessary to go on board the frigate immediately accompanied his two friends into portsmouth the three young midshipmen following in their wake gerald having first been introduced to jack and alick the youngsters were fast friends from that moment laughing and rattling away and playing each other all sorts of tricks no one would have supposed that they had only just met for the first time in their lives as they turned into the high street the lieutenants encountered admiral triton stumping along in his flushing coat and weather-beaten hat he recognized murray and adair at once and invited them and jack with tom and his two friends to dine with him at the george at six i shall then hear how you like being a sailor it isn't too late to give it up said the admiral looking at tom wouldn't change if they would make me a judge or archbishop of york answered tom in a positive tone just like jack observed the admiral smiling i hope at the end of your cruise you'll have no reason to repent your resolution 
jack during the day picked up several more men and returned early on board when tom with no little pride introduced his new friend to the mess as mr gerald desmond of ballymacree castle county clare ireland mr gerald desmond be hanged exclaimed old higson who had come down tired after having worked hard all day and was out of humour call him paddy desmond at once we have no misters in this berth and sure so i am paddy desmond and if it's to show that i come from old ireland i'm proud of the title said gerald taking his seat and looking about him with an air of unconcern i told you so whispered tom i knew from the first that they would call you paddy gerald quickly made himself at home and took in good part all the quizzing his messmates chose to bestow on him the dinner at the george went off capitally the admiral put his young guests at their ease and let them talk and laugh away to their hearts content telling them all sorts of amusing anecdotes and though he took good care not to allow them to drink more wine than their heads could carry they unanimously declared that he was the jolliest old fellow they had ever met of course he did not forget to tell all the company boxy adair had made him carry his portmanteau and to chuckle over the story for five minutes at least a pretty pass the service has come to when midshipmen take such liberties with their superiors eh captain sourkraut he exclaimed giving a poke in the ribs with his elbow to a stiff old martinet style of post-captain who sat next to him and had looked utterly horrified at his story the world's turned upside down isn't it we shall have the youngsters mast-heading us next if we don't exactly please them eh captain sourkraut unable to speak from indignation could only shake his head and frown terribly at which the midshipman as he was not their captain laughed the more heartily the admiral had heard too of the trick jack and his messmates had played with quirk the monkey on lieutenant spry of the marines and while he told the story as he had received it from jack with a few amplifications of his own the tears ran down his eyes till captain sourkraut boiling over with indignation exclaimed the navy has indeed come to a pretty pass when such things are allowed instead of being mast-headed the three midshipmen should have been brought to a court-martial and dismissed the service but my dear captain sourkraut the affair happened a good many years ago remember interrupted the admiral wishing to tranquillize him and had not leniency been shown to the culprits the service would have lost three promising young officers likely to prove ornaments to it however i would advise other youngsters not to imitate them such tricks don't bear repetition i'll allow by the bye captain sourkraut are you acquainted with my old shipmate jerry 
hazeldine he served under me as a youngster and i have kept an eye on him ever since he hailed from ireland and as all his ways and doings savoured strongly of the emerald isle he was known as paddy throughout the service the admiral went on without wailing to hear whether captain sauerkraut was or was not personally acquainted with the officer in question paddy hazeldine was possessed of prodigious strength though he seldom put it forth except in what he considered the side of right and justice his notions to be sure on these points were occasionally like himself somewhat eccentric ha 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 i remember it as if it were yesterday coming up high street one night i saw a crowd collected round a lamp-post not one of your modern iron affairs but a stout honest one of timber with a cross-bar at the top as long as a sloop's cross jack-yard seated with his legs over it was paddy hazeldine in full rig cocked hat and sword he was a lieutenant then as composed as possible smoking a cigar which it appeared he had got up there for the purpose of lighting at the huge glass lamp as big as a seventy-four's poop lantern while he held on with one hand in the other he flourished a formidable shillelagh which he usually carried as he declared in order to keep the peace when more warlike weapons could not be used below him stood half a dozen watchmen who in angry tones were ordering him to come down while he in eloquent language was asserting his right to be where he was and proclaiming his intention of remaining there as long as suited his pleasure every now and then the watchmen made a rush at him with their cudgels the blows from which his faithful shillelagh enabled him to ward off and occasionally to bestow a pretty heavy tap on the heads of the most daring of his assailants is it breaking the peace i am do you say he exclaimed not at all at all it's you are doing the same and running the risk of getting your on heads broken as the consequence now be off would you and lave a quietly disposed citizen to his meditations i kept out of sight to see what would happen next at length the watchmen lost patience while three of their number remained at a respectful distance from the heavy end of the shillelagh to prevent paddy from escaping the others went off as i suppose for a ladder and further assistance hazeldine fearless of consequences sat smoking his cigar with perfect composure presently a dozen watchmen came trooping up some armed with sticks and others with crowbars and pickaxes and spades their object was evident while one party began digging away round the lamp-post the others defended them by fierce assaults with their sticks on the gallant lieutenant's legs giving him enough to do for their defence and thus preventing him from bringing down his weapon on the heads of their 
comrades still he showed every intention of keeping his seat and notwithstanding the violent shaking which the working party gave the post as they got near the heel he held on at length several stout fellows putting their shoulders to it up it came but instead of toppling it over away they marched carrying off patty in triumph as they thought to the watch-house but they little knew the man they had got hold of he seemed to enjoy the fun and sat smoking as before and occasionally indulging in a quiet laugh suddenly uttering a wild irish shout he sprang over the heads of his bearers and with a whirl of his shillelagh scattering those who attempted to stop him he darted down a narrow lane the end of which they were passing at the time and disappeared from sight as his ship sailed the next morning the police of portsmouth searched in vain for the culprit who getting undiscovered on board did not fail to amuse his messmates with a full account of his exploit ha 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 the admiral laughed heartily at his story as of course did everybody else with the exception of captain sauerkraut who grimly smiling observed i should have brought that harum-scarum lieutenant to a court-martial pretty sharply what for smoking a cigar on top of a lamp-post asked the admiral it is not against the articles of war no admiral triton but for conduct unworthy the character of an officer and a gentleman answered captain sauerkraut gruffly well as to that people may be allowed to have their opinion it's not a usual proceeding i grant you but the act was beyond the jurisdiction of his captain and as patty was as gallant a fellow as ever stepped and never failed in his duty i don't think he would have been willing to act as you suggest we must not forget that we were once upon a time youngsters ourselves and we may possibly recall to mind some of the tricks we played in those days ay and after we had mounted a swab or maybe two on our shoulders you remember the sentry-box which stood at the inner end of the landing-place on the common hard with a comfortable seat inside it rather tempting it must be confessed to a drowsily disposed sentry to take a quiet snooze our forefathers had more consideration for the legs and feet of soldiers than the martinets of our times to be sure it is a sentry was found asleep he ought to have been flogged or shot but he could sit down and rest himself and if he did so it was at his own risk one night several young commanders there may have been a post-captain among them coming down to the common hard after a dinner-party on shore to go on board their ships found the sentry fast asleep in his sentry-box they of course were as sober as judges he evidently drunk as a fiddler they thereon held a consultation and came to the unanimous conclusion that it was meet and fit 
that a man guilty of so flagrant an infraction of military discipline should receive condign punishment and constituting themselves the executioners as well as the judges of the law forthwith set about carrying out the sentence they had pronounced calling up the strongest men of their boats crews they ordered them to shoulder the sentry-box and its sentry within and to carry it down to one of the boats as gently as possible not to awake the occupant there however was little chance of that safe on board there being no witnesses but themselves to the operation the boat containing it was towed across to the gosport shore on which being carefully landed it was set up in its proper position facing the harbour great as may be supposed was the consternation of the relief when it arrived at the post to find sentry-box and sentry gone the soldier could not have walked off with it as a snail does its shell on its back a rigid search was instituted but no sign of sentry or box could be discovered and the sentry at the dockyard gates having also been snoozing at the time had neither seen nor heard anything unusual the captain of the guard unable even by a conjecture to solve this mystery considered it of sufficient importance to report without delay to the major who jumping to the conclusion as he heard it when awakened from his first sleep that the french had made their way into the harbour and were about to assault the town turned out the guard ordered the drawbridge to be hauled up and like a wise soldier took every precaution to avoid surprise not till the next morning was his mind set at rest when a report came from across the harbour that a sentry-box had been found on the gosport shore where one had not stood the night before with a sentry in front of it who could give no account of how he got there the sentry on awaking at daybreak had in vain looked for the objects he expected to see around him but deemed it prudent to maintain his post when questioned he roundly asserted that he had been broad awake all night and the only conclusion to which he or any one else could come was that he had been the victim of some trick of witchcraft were you admiral among those who played it asked captain sourcrout because then the less i say on the subject the better a man is not compelled by law to give evidence against himself answered the admiral laughing i give the tale current at the time and happen to have been informed of the facts which solve the mystery i should say that jerry hazeldine had nothing to do with it as it was before his day he has a good many things set down to his account some of them were true bills however observed another post-captain i was a midshipman under him when he commanded the old turk though good-natured he was somewhat hot-tempered one of our marines had been bred a barber and jerry discovering this made the man come in every morning to shave him
the steward following with a jug of warm water it had just been placed on the table as the barber had finished lathering the captain's face but instead of being only warm was scalding hot the marine not reflecting on this dipped in his razor and intending to commence operations on the captain's upper lip touched the tip of his nose with the back as jerry felt the pain on the impulse of the moment up went his fist which he planted with a knock-down blow between the eyes of the unfortunate jolly who rolled over half stunned on the deck i at that moment went into the cabin having been sent on some duty or other and heard jerry shout out in a voice of thunder take that ye spalpeen and think yourself fortunate to get it instead of the three dozen you would have had as sure as you're alive for burning your captain's nose the captain in half a minute sitting down as if nothing had happened the jolly picked himself up and went on with the operation taking very good care you may be certain not to burn jerry's nose again some time after this our captain received an intimation from the admiralty as did other captains that flogging was as much as possible to be avoided and other punishments substituted on this jerry who was possessed of an inventive turn of mind set himself to work to devise such as would to a certainty be so hated by the men that they would answer the purpose of maintaining discipline fully as much as flogging the ship's cook was a one-legged negro a jolly fat fellow with a comical expression of countenance sambo lillywhite by name generally known as sam lilly sam had a white mate called tim dippings an incorrigibly idle rascal one day tim not for the first time had neglected to clean the galley and on being reported both he and sam lilly were put in the blacklist jerry exercising his inventive genius ordered tim to walk the deck the whole of the afternoon watch with a cauldron slung round his neck half full of slush while the black cook with a huge frying-pan held at arm's length in each hand had to pace up and down for the same period as each bell struck tim had to sing out here am i for not cleaning the galley which was responded to by sambo in the most dolorous tone with i hear for no see em do it his peculiar voice and the comical expression of his countenance eliciting roars of laughter from his shipmates thus at every half hour the words went sounding along the deck here am i for not cleaning the galley i here for no see em do it jerry however on another occasion surpassed even himself he caught a man smuggling a bottle of rum on board the opportunity for exhibiting his inventive genius was not to be lost the bottle was captured and the man put in the blacklist the captain after due consideration ordered a cock to be fixed in a seven-gallon beaker into which being more than half filled with water the rum was emptied it was then secured by a rope 
yarn round the neck of the culprit who appeared thus at the commencement of the watch with a tumbler in his hand and as the bell struck he had to fill his glass and drink the contents shouting out at the top of his voice each time here am i a smuggler bold he was never again caught smuggling spirits on board some captains with less inventive genius are much more cruel than was our friend jerry in their blacklist punishments that is not a subject i wish to bear spoken of observed captain sourcrout in an angry tone come come we'll change it then gentlemen exclaimed the good-natured admiral i forgot whispered jack's neighbour to him old sourcrout is said to have had a man's head shaved and to have made him carry a kettle of boiling water on the top of it for two hours during every day watch for a week but that may be a scandal as to the shaving i fancy so but with regard to the water it is true enough only it was not boiling answered jack he got hauled up for it notwithstanding and no wonder that he does not like the subject of blacklisting spoken of notwithstanding the grumpy remarks captain sourcrout occasionally let drop the party went off very pleasantly and desmond and gordon assured tom that he had not overpraised the admiral and that they had no notion there were such jolly old fellows in the navy he at all events was worthy of all the patronage they could bestow End of section two.